Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Big Scary S-Word chronicles the history of socialism in America through the policy agenda of the emerging democratic socialist left may not be quite front and center in the Biden administration, but its influence is clear in the polling numbers that show bipartisan majorities supporting policies like Medicare for all and the new administration's emphasis on expanding democracy and alleviating economic inequality. All those things are absolutely true. The, the world is changing politically in many ways. And this film, The Big Scary S Word, chronicles the history of socialism in this country as well as its living history today. We're joined today by the director of that film, and that would be Yael Bridge. Yael, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. So glad to be here. Well, where did this idea, where did this germinate? Where, how did this go from that idea to what we see now? You know, I've been working in political documentaries for, for some time now, and so it's something that I've always been interested in, interested in social movements, interested in history, and interested in, in change and how that happens. And then I think, like most people, was really blown away by the 2016 primary and seeing Bernie Sanders just, you know, come out of nowhere, like really, truly left field to me. He was barely on my radar, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. And then to see how well he did um, and how many people were comfortable voting for a socialist really caught me off guard. Um, I was also working on another film at that point called Saving Capitalism. And so I was traveling around the country working on that film and met so many of these uh, Bernie Trump voters in the middle of the country that I read so much about and just was so blown away. There would be these union guys in you know, Oklahoma or Kansas, and they'd say, oh, I just really can't decide Bernie or Trump. And I'd say, okay, something, something's very clearly happening here. Um, and even though Bernie didn't win, you know, millions of people were suddenly comfortable voting for a socialist. And so I didn't know what that word meant. I knew I liked Bernie's politics um, and so did a lot of other people, but I was just genuinely curious to know what this word meant. Why didn't people own this word in the past and what, where, where that movement was going to go? And then we can look back and say, oh, man, that really exploded. But at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't at all clear. Yeah. Um, well, what's interesting about what you just said, there's a lot of interesting things about what you just said, but one of them is that Sanders was the second choice of a lot of Trump voters. And I think for, for me, what that says is the level of dissatisfaction, of the feeling left out of the process is something that a lot of voters sort of have a visceral understanding of. If you were to drill down and ask that particular voter that you were talking about their policy perspectives, they may not line up with Bernie, but they may on a lot of on a lot of different things as well. But what they do understand is that they're not affecting the process. The process is affecting them. And that I think is for that was what I always found interesting was Sanders, if he had gotten the nomination. I still believe would have won because of just just what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I I do too. I remember there was a online quiz that was being passed around that said who said this, Bernie or Trump? 
you know, of, of quotes. And it was really hard because they were both talking about, you know, draining the swamp and the political elite and, you know, how much you were being screwed over. And, you know, it, it seemed obvious to me that Trump wasn't going to deliver on how to make those changes, but that was the rhetoric. And so clearly it seemed to me like that people were really, like you're saying, just really fed up with the system um, and feeling very left out and excluded. And one last point, and I'll leave it at this, and that is the difference between Trump and Sanders, putting aside personality and character, was that Bernie was the same guy 40 years ago. Yeah. You can look at what he said, what he what he believed in, what, he, what his policies were 40 years ago, and know that that's exactly who he will be 20 years from now. And so that, I think, would have made a huge difference in in terms of trying to make a decision if it had come down to the two of them. <laughs> well, you won't, you won't hear a disagreement from me. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk again. We're, you go back in this film, uh, the big, scary S word. You go back by that way. By the way, that word is socialism, in case somebody's wondering. I think we said it already. But uh, and that is we go back into the history of socialism in this country. Talk a little bit about, as you mentioned, sort of as you were exploring the history of this, of this political movement, this ideology, if you will. Uh, how did how did that unfold for you? Yeah. Um, well, I just also want to just say, like, the film really barely talks about Bernie. So, yeah. um, as much as we've been talking about Bernie, yeah, no, thank you. The inspiration. Um, you know, when we look at the history of American socialism, which the film does, you know. It, he, he, it's not, it's not about Bernie. Um, and so the, for me, like I said, I was just interested in exploring what this word meant. And it was a history that I was completely new to. It was just a lot of reading books and doing interviews with people to, to get around, to get myself familiar and versed with the history of American socialism, which as it turns out is, is quite rich. I, and just not taught in, in schools, in my education and, and most people's, I think. Well, the fact that it is kind of, it's been embedded in the American experiment, but oftentimes kind of marginalized in the retelling of our history so that for a lot of people, it, it doesn't feel like it has been a part of American history. Um, and going back, let's go back, because I, I think in some ways the defining movement or the defining aspect of socialism going back is obviously empowering people to to decide their own future much more than a democratic capitalist bent would would but it's either has to be uh, regarding um, slavery or the economic determination of workers going back and again it's kind of hard for me to well how would you characterize going back in sort of the early days of America and the history of America, what would you say where socialism kind of got its due or got its opportunity? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, looking at the, you know, the very beginning of the foundation of this country, it was this very avant-garde experiment in democracy. That is something that this country historically was really pushing, like pushing the boundaries, very, very much so. And so within that vein, it was just a land where people would come and experiment with different ideas, different politics. You know, people in Europe thought that this country was empty. It obviously wasn't empty. It was full of 
full of people who were living here. Um, but that aside, there were a lot of Europeans that were coming here with their ideas and interested in exploring. So there was this whole movement of socialist utopian societies. There were hundreds of them that were spread all across this country in like the mid 1800s, late 1800s. And this was even before Marx. Marx said that he actually thought socialism would kick off here, not anywhere else, um, because there's, there was so much experimentation that was going on. And and that's all through the Midwest, you know, Wisconsin, yeah. Michigan, those uh, North Dakota, huge, huge socialist uh, <laughs> populations going there, which is hard to imagine now because those are, well, not deeply read, not what we would consider Certainly now when we talk about socialists, we talk about like the coastal elites of socialism, which is just not not historically what what was going on at all. And those people made huge contributions to our society, including as the film talks about the founding of the Republican Party was founded by a bunch of socialists who were from one of these communities who were so outraged by by slavery and and seeing a bunch of ex-slaves, you know, fleeing the South and, and moving out West and, and felt like the, the parties were not doing enough to, to change to change and abolish slavery. And it was a deeply abolitionist movement and they started the Republican Party. So, you know, the socialist contributions are, are, are deep. To, to follow on, on that, uh, this happened in Wisconsin. Right. Mm-hmm. Ripon, yeah. Ripon, Ripon, yeah, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And this is where this is the contribution of socialism is affecting movements, empowering people. And in this case, we're talking about them essentially pushing against the idea that slavery was inevitable or should be a part of American society. It, and it, one thing, and I'll just it's in the film and I, I had never thought about it in this context. The essentially the disintegration of slavery caused the largest transference of wealth in the history of the country. And yeah. I think that the, it, because it's in the film and I think it's an important thing to talk about, it's inescapable to understand slavery, not only for its immoral, morally bankrupt, however you want to say it, outlook on of people, enslaving people. It's also a matter of an economic system that was dependent upon slaves. Yeah. Yeah. The entire economy was centered around it. And also only 1% of people own slaves. I mean, it's the same 1% that we talk about now of, of the elite and how much they control like every aspect of, of our lives. And, and, and then they were literally controlling, uh, you know, aspects of, of people's lives. They were owning people. And so that was really interesting and also in, and inspiring to think that, like, like you said, the largest transference of, of, of wealth when you were considering people property is inspiring to me when I think about climate change and how we need to do a similar thing, which we talk about in the film of how do we how do we change this economic system, which is so predicate. It's just like so foundational on, on fossil fuels and all of all of the elite um, money and interests. And so that is. That's something we were exploring as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the one last thing on, on, on that is that there were 4 million people approximately enslaved in an economic system that, that abused them and, and took advantage of them. That they were, there was more money invested in, in the ownership of those 4 million people than there was in any other part of the American economy. It was, it was greater than anything else in America. And this is, we're talking the mid 1800s. Yep. So 
that is again to give you a scale of what we're talking about. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking with Yael Bridge. She is the director of the new documentary film, The Big Scary S Word. It is coming out on September 3rd in kind of in syncing up with Labor Day. You can go to socialismmovie.com to find out more about the film and how you can watch it, where you can watch it, and just more about it, more about this particular thing. Let's kind of jump way forward here and in terms of going to the 50s, the 1950s, the end of World War II, it's sort of the beginning of the Cold War, and the impact that in the political class could have on affecting the political future of this country simply by calling somebody a communist and also by association a socialist, and how that dramatically impacted the ability of socialism to affect American life for literally for decades moving forward. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment? Is that to characterize it? That yeah, way? yeah, absolutely. I think for, for, you know, many generations we can look, I, I mean, I was, when I was going around the country visiting with different socialist organizations, I would regularly find, you know, there were people that are like under 35 or over 75 and really nothing in the middle very, very little in the middle. I don't want to say nothing, but that was a real dark period for these ideas. And you, and you would see that, you know, in, in now when polling for, for the word socialism and also for Bernie Sanders, you know, with young people, it was so incredibly high and, and older people, you know, my parents included were just like, I don't know. I don't like the word socialism. You know, I, I like the idea of Medicare for all, or I, you know, I agree, whatever X, Y, and Z, but that word was so, so incredibly effectively stigmatized for so long that it's um that it's been interesting to see its its resurgence. But as as Lee Carter says in the film, he was four when the Berlin Wall fell. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything to him. He doesn't remember. And that and that generational line I really think is very, it's very clear. Yeah. I, going back to what I was saying, Joe McCarthy, McCarthyism, the outing, so-called outing of uh communist within the State Department, this whole uh, dog and pony show, which turned out really not to be the case at the end of the day, historically untrue. But if, but nonetheless, it had the impact and effect of essentially stifling any kind of political dialogue or any kind of political movement that in any way was associated with socialism. And that includes workers' rights, civil rights, voting rights, all kinds of issues that essentially all you had to say and I from the Republican or conservative side was that's a communist over there saying that. And that was almost the end of the discussion. That was it. It really retarded our our dialogue within the country. And that went all the way through, as you said. I mean, Ronald Reagan was probably the embodiment of all of that stuff in a way, a Cold War mentality. And then it started to diminish. And now we're at a point, as you said, where that is ancient history. That is just why are we still speaking in those? But still. (laughs) Well, for some people. Right. But I mean, for Obama, he was really scared when people would call him a socialist and he'd go out of his way to make sure you knew he wasn't a socialist. And 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 it was an effective talking point for conservatives to criticize him. And also, I think that it kind of backfired because for for the younger people who saw you know the collapse of the housing market and and you know graduating from college with tons of debt and, and a horrible economy and no jobs 
do they go, oh, is Obama social? Like what you're saying, Medicare for all is socialism. Okay, well, like that sounds pretty good. That word no longer means like that he's clearly not doing anything terrible and that and that backfired. And I think, you know, you can see, you know, even in, in now in current elections, it's not, it's not as effective, but it's still a boogie word for the conservatives. They talk about it on Fox News all, all the time. Dinesh D'Souza had a documentary about United States of Socialism which I always thought was a really good title. Um, but I mean, I haven't seen it, but you know, they're still trying to rally around and stoke fear of this right. is what it is. And it, you know, which, you know, I could talk about her, but that was one of the reasons I wanted to make this film was to let socialists define it for themselves. I think so long this word, these ideas have been defined by the right and by the rich and not by socialists themselves. And so this was a platform to let to let those organizers and those activists explain what they mean when they say we want socialism or this is what socialism looks like. Well, and thank you for bringing that up because in the film, we see people like Cornel West, Naomi Klein, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others, Richard Wolf. Um, there's a lot of people who are allowed to explain not only just in terms of addressing a particular issue, but to give a greater context for why this idea of, of a socialism is so much an important part of the human experience, whether we recognize it as such, that social being socialism-like is very much human-like in, in, in the pursuit of a greater good or also in pursuit of a better life. Is that, again, I want to make sure I'm being fair. Yeah, yeah sounds fair. So you mentioned that you know, this was kind of a journey for you as well. So is there any, you know, any overarching sort of uh, what surprised you most in terms maybe about the history of socialism or where we are today? What is what's been the takeaway for you as a filmmaker? Gosh, so many things I learned about filmmaking and also uh, about this history. I guess I think the history part was most surprising because I just did not know how active history we had of American socialism throughout really important during the civil rights era and how Martin Luther King was surrounded by socialists and perhaps called himself a socialist as well. So that was all new to me. I think also the, like I went in being like, okay, what is socialism? And read a ton of books and talked to a ton of people to try and get like a specific definition. That was surprisingly hard to do. A lot of people have really contradictory ideas of what socialism is, even socialists themselves. And a lot of people in the film, you know, would maybe disagree with each other. And, you know, Richard Wolff would talk a lot about worker-owned co-ops. That's very important to him as something that's socialist because it empowers workers to, you know, and increases workplace democracy. But that doesn't have anything to do with like North Dakota state banking, which is socialist. And they, you know, would never call themselves socialists and don't think that they're related at all. And so I think the main conclusions that I came to was that actually it's sort of a spectrum and you don't, it's not something that you necessarily achieve, but it is a goal that you're constantly working towards. And on that spectrum, you're just saying more socialism is more democracy and less socialism is less democracy. And with that as a metric, you can go forward and look sort of at any policy and say, does this increase democracy or not? And that was really helpful in sort of being able to look towards things and not to define democracy so rigidly. We have such a rigid understanding of democracy as though it is something that only happens at the ballot box. It only happens once a year. And, and 
presidential elections even less. And 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 you don't even we don't even have access to voting. Like we're still living where our voting rights are being eroded constantly. In other countries, they have a national, you know, national holiday for voting. Some countries have mandatory voting. We don't even talk about that in this country. But that democracy is so much more than elections, but that you go to work and you do whatever your boss says. It's not democratic. You have some ideas maybe of how the company should be run. And that's that's completely inaccessible to most people. I mean, just any number of places where democracy is not, where you, we should have more say. And that was really something that surprised me. <laughs> it just thinking about what that word means. Yeah. And how loaded it is. I would also add one aspect to what you just said, and that would be accountability. Yeah. Socialism is a strategy, a, a, um, a working system that affords accountability to the people who are who are most involved in that particular enterprise. And I, I that's that is absolutely important. And I, I will say this will be the last thing I think we'll have time for. But just to say that we're increasingly moving into a world where cooperation and a, and a diminution of the idea that consumption equals wealth, consumption equals a better life. We have got to disabuse ourselves of that notion. We have to. And so cooperation, getting through this crisis of climate, cooperation between nation states, I, I question whether or not the nation states will survive the mass migration of people across this planet. But we, but paramount is going to be our ability to cooperate with one another and socialism lends itself to that. Yeah, I think that that uh, is really well put. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I'm feeling a little pessimistic about that as I see the way the people in the country and the world, frankly, are responding to COVID, which is so clearly a test of, are we able to cooperate? Are we able to see that, that we need to work together or else we will literally just all die? <laughs> you know, we don't even need to go to climate change or whether that's like man-made or not to look for, for examples on, on can we work together? But it really is, yeah, of paramount that we as a species figure that out. And so... That's what is no small task. <laughs> Let's roll up our sleeves. Yeah. On that happy note. No, I no, I honestly think it is out of this the human mind, the human condition is most effective when it has to do something, when it when there's no other options. And I don't know if we'll get to that point. I hope we don't have to get to that point before we understand how important what we're talking about is. I fear you're right, but I also hope that that I'm wrong. So, yeah. so, uh, well, thank you for this film. And again, I, I want to emphasize this. It is a broad look, history, real examples, real people, real impacts on American life that we're better for the fact that socialism and the people who believe in it have been doing the, this work for the 260 years or so that we've been here as a, as a country or however long. I probably have my math wrong on that. But nonetheless, as long as we have been here in this country and around the world, this is a system with its own particular characteristics in all these different places around the world that is a way forward. And I so appreciate you making this film and, and sort of allowing people to understand it in a better way. Del Bridge, thank you so much for your work here. And I hope you'll come back with your next political or whatever you're working on, <laughs> saving capitalism. You, you, Yes, all these things are important. These are other works of yours. And um, so I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Mike.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.